Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. There goes the sun, little darling. Yeah, it's back to gray skies. Ah, well, hello. It's May 14th, another day in paradise in the year of the plague, 2020. Uh, May 14th. Uh, um, you know, I, I start every day by, by reading the news and it is, it is a litany of such horror that, you know, what, it doesn't seem like a wise way to start a day. Um, does it? I saw the historian Michael Beschloss, uh, suggesting something that I had mentioned, um, I don't know, a few months ago maybe, that this disquieting thought I had of, you know, we're all waiting for November, November. <laughs> and let's imagine, yes, we get there, and an election is actually held, and uh, Donald Trump is defeated. And, in fact, uh, maybe the Democrats take, you know, the, the best-case scenario happens. Democrats take the Senate, retain the House, take the White House. But the thought that freaked me out is one that Beschloss mentioned today. That's in the beginning of November, the election. The new president is not sworn in, does not begin his term, uh, does not attain the position until the end of January, January 20, right? So that leaves, that leaves a few months, close to three months, for the now lame duck Donald Trump to do what he does, which is settle scores. A defeated Donald Trump still retaining and maintaining his powers as president, his residence in the White House, will be able to trash and burn as much as he has left untrashed and unburned before ceding the space to poor Joe Biden. Uh, to think that Trump would not do this is to engage in, <laughs> I mean, truly magical thinking. So I just want to say that of all the horrific things I, I, I've already ingested uh, today through various news sources, it's that re reminder of even if we vote him out, we have him until January 20th of 2021. 
and um, an unleashed, enraged, potentially humiliated Donald Trump would be such an extraordinary destructive force. Also, the possibility of, let's say, he loses, but it's not, a, it's, it, it's a tighter election, but he loses. He loses big in the, in the popular vote, but he loses the Electoral College, God willing. And then he's got three months, along with his enablers, to argue voter fraud and to potentially uh, refuse to accept the election result. I don't know. I was just, I think, you know, just file this under the heading of be careful what you wish for, because we're all wanting November to come, so we have our chance, finally. And even if we get what we want, we will be in for <laughs> such a frightening show of revenge and rage and destruction by this petulant child that is the president of the United States. Oy, just thinking. Okay, a few other things, moving on. Guys, speaking of voting, if you ain't registered, you got four days. Last day to register is May 18. Voting is the most important thing, obviously, that any of us can do. The last day to apply for an absentee ballot for the June primary is May 26. You can apply by going online and just sticking in vote, votespa.com or alleghenyvotes.com. If you haven't done that, you have to do it now. Now. Votespa.com or alleghenyvotes.com. You will receive a ballot in the mail. You will fill out the ballot. You will stick it back in the mail. But you got to get on it because the election is June 2nd. So I have to tell you something, and I'm loath to do it because voting by mail is something that uh, a lot of us feel is something that has to be uh, in place and uh, doable to have a fair election in November. Um, I have seen uh, just today in my perusal of all the you know horrors that happened uh, since I, I I went to bed last night. Uh, the Attorney General of Texas has uh, decreed that no one can have an absentee ballot in Texas who can physically get to the polls and that risk saying it's a risk to your health is not a 
good enough excuse. <laughs> so you can expect that uh, the Republicans will continue to try mightily to prevent us from voting. You might recall that in Florida, there was a, um, a law, I, I can't remember how it happened, whether through uh, judicial fiat or um, actual legislation that uh, changed voting uh, regulations there so that uh, felons, people who had a criminal record uh, but had served their sentence, could in fact vote again. Um, and I saw a little item today that said that Florida now, of course, is saying, oh, well, yeah, you can vote again, but that you have to pay all the court costs of, I can't remember exactly what. And these are people who've been in jail for God knows how, how long, have not been earning a living, have no money, cannot pay. So they're given the vote back and then it's taken away, right? Because all of a sudden now they have to shell out a bunch of money in order to get the vote. Republicans will never stop trying and often succeeding in canceling out your vote. So back to the election. I sent in my, you know, request for an absentee ballot, and I got my absentee ballot uh, maybe uh, 10 days ago, a week ago. It sat there for a while, and then just the other day, I, I thought, well, damn, vote already. So I, I filled it out. I carefully made sure I followed all the directions, do this, do that, don't do this. Do you, you know, you get nervous that you're doing something wrong. You need black ink, you need, or blue ink. And then I was thinking, what about somebody who just has a pencil? <laughs> what about someone who just has a pencil? A pencil won't work. Anyway, uh, I got it all together, and I, I mailed it uh, two days ago. Imagine my astonishment. This is what I'm loath to put out there. When I received another ballot in the mail, I'm holding it right now. Official election ballot. It looks exactly like the one I already filled out and mailed in. He's got my name on it. On the return address, on the return envelope, they have a sticker with your name and address on it. All of these come specifically to you, and then you sign this declaration on the back of the envelope. Now, I don't know why I got a second ballot, but something has gone wrong here, has it not? Dear God in heaven, why did I get a second ballot? And I'm thinking... Because my name's on the ballot, even if I were to fill this one out, too, in hopes of having two votes um, and send it in, because the ballot is marked and surely my name will somehow be crossed off as the one I mailed gets to, 
the people who count things. Um, but guys, this is a <laughs> this is the kind of thing that you know those who say it just opens things up for fraud, voting by mail. And here I am with my second ballot. So what do you make of that? Okay, and throwing one more thing into the mix here. If you happen to see today's Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, there is a very long, he tends to be verbose, uh, opinion piece takes up almost an entire page, written by a prolific uh, letter writer, writer, author, a guy can't stop, and he's well-known, and that would be uh, Cyril Wecht. Uh, Cyril Wecht has written a long, long screed, and I was surprised because in it, for those of you who don't know, he, for over two decades, was the county coroner and medical examiner here, and he is internationally recognized as, a, obviously, a great uh, forensic, uh, forensic, what do you call those guys, forensic uh, thingamajiggy. And um, he is called into, um, you know, big, high-profile cases, uh, such as uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy or uh, the murder of John Benet Ramsey, things like that. So Cyril Wecht, and he is smart as holy hell and uh, a bit irascible. And um, he has written a piece, the headline of which is Time to End the COVID-19 hysteria. And in this, Cyril flat out argues that we need to stop doing what we're doing and get back to living. Uh, here's one quote. We must begin to lift up restrictions and quarantines and commence normal activities in all fields of endeavor. Uh he says we have an obligation to save lives, but we also have the responsibility and right to enjoy our lives and to not compromise the lives of non-COVID infected individuals. He points out that more than 90% of people who develop this infection have no symptom. I, where did he get that? I, I don't know where he got that. And he says the time to dispense with panic and hysteria has arrived. A return to a functioning civilized society is now overdue. The overall restrictive measures that have been imposed are simply unsustainable. I was surprised by this. I'm told we have a caller. Caller, go ahead, please. Hi, Lynn. Yeah, hi. Um, yeah, you brought up the ballot. I just wanted to tell you, I got a second one, too, oh which I was confused. I mailed mine in, filled it out on the 6th or 7th, mailed it in, 
on Monday I get another one, and then mm-hmm. on Monday afternoon I get the email that they got mine that I mailed in, so that one counts. But I'm like, why did I get another ballot? I <laughs> is this, don't. Is this how cheating goes on? <laughs> no, and here, you know what? Here, Ellen has written in, and I think she's right. She says, I too applied and, and received my ballot. I seem to recall County Executive Rich Fitzgerald saying that all county registered voters would be mailed ballots. Could it be, and this is what I'm thinking happened, that you and me, we actively applied for our ballots. Right. And so those came to us. And and then they flat out sent everybody ballot. I don't know. I um, yeah, that could be what happened. But wouldn't you think that check and go? Okay, we already sent these because you're going to waste money mailing. And well, what I have to believe is that in the counting of the ballots, they do not allow you or me to vote twice. That they'll they yeah, do. I hope. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> When I got it, I thought, oh, God, Trump's right, cheating. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Freaked me out. And I called, but, of course, no one ever called me back, so I'll just shred it. Well, this is the one I sent. Okay, this is a thing, though, and I I hate to give uh, fodder to the Republicans for, you know, uh, uh, just – suggesting that you know voting by mail can't work and and opens things up to to fraud but we can't be the only one so i mean this is happening and are are news outlets doing anything about this explaining to people or what the hell is going on yeah because i applied before they changed the primary dates so it okay. took a long time from the time I applied, and I guess that's how they got the email to send me that said, yeah, we got your ballot, and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay. So I assume that one will be counted and, you know, not to do anything with this one. But I guess no, that's what no. they're doing. Yeah, they're just yeah. sending up everybody. Which, but you got to figure some people are going to fill out both. They're going to think, geez, maybe that, you know, I, who knows? We don't know. Yeah, I mean, luckily, I guess mine having the email, doing it from that, that's how I know. But if uh-huh. you didn't do that, then you don't know. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, what a mess. Well, <laughs> okay, well, don't vote twice. I won't vote twice. We no, are we are good citizens. I'll, I'll just shred it so it's in the shredder. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Thank you. Okay. I Bye. appreciate it. Bye. Well, so there you have it. Jeez. All right. So anyway, Cyril, I, I seemed to be, I, I under, I mean, you can argue his point. You know, he, he does say that, you know, at worst, it appears that the death rate for, uh, at worst, the death rate of this virus is 1%. Now, that translates to literally millions upon millions of uh, people on the globe, obviously. And millions of Americans, doesn't it? One percent of no. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. I I also saw somebody else saying that it's got to be put on the table, as they say. That 
this virus may never go away, that this just might be something new that we have to live with. And if we're lucky, we'll find a, a vaccine like we did for measles and, and mumps and other stuff, right? And I think that that is also true. So if it's something we're going to have to live with, then maybe, I don't know. I, I mean, it's getting in my head now, too, that what we are doing is clearly unsustainable because people won't do it. They want to do this the old-fashioned way, which is sacrifice a lot of people. I don't know. I don't pretend to know. I do know that with the warmer weather, we're all going to, not all of us, but some of us, and that will include me, are going to relax things a little bit. Have people over into our backyards. Try to resume uh, some connection to life. Um, and if somebody like me is in a high-risk group, um, who has been following the rules pretty much, is feeling that way, then, and you see the yahoos, my God, in my beleaguered home state of Wisconsin, where uh, the Supreme Court there did what it was supposed to do, which is do the bidding of the Republicans in the legislature, uh, declared that the governor of the state had no authority to... Uh, to have his stay-at-home order, and they lifted it. And within seconds, the bars in towns all over the state were full of idiots. Shoulder, I've seen pictures on Twitter. I mean, packed into little bars, not a person in sight, including bartenders, wearing a mask, partying like it was, well... 2019. And I think because we have a population that simply will not be deprived of their individual liberties, their God-given American gift, and having no sense of social responsibility beyond themselves, because it's not an ethic in our country. It's not. The individual is supreme. And it's too bad. It's a real, it has turned us into a nation of very selfish, privileged people. Some privileged people. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. Cyril might be right. We might have to live with it. As long as we're living with constant anxiety, maybe we should just live. I don't know. Uh-oh. Uh, here's another one of you guys saying, hi, I also received a second ballot. <laughs> there was a stamp on the return no, I don't have a stamp on either of mine. I just have no postage necessary. Um, 
and you had a stamp on one of yours? Jeez. I don't have a clue. I don't have a clue. What a world. And I had a friend tell me this. Barbara just sent me this. South Korea was doing so well, and then all of a sudden they had this huge spike, which has forced them to close down again. And because they they do better tracing, contact tracing, they were able to determine that almost all of the new cases were linked to nightclubs in this one neighborhood and one 29-year-old guy who had been bar hopping, infecting people left, right, and center. One person. And that's what these yahoos don't understand, the ones who were who were in the bars in the uh, America's Dairyland last night, hooting it up. Uh, they don't get it. So, we have another caller. Hello, caller. Hi. Good, hi, good, mor- good morning, Lynn. Hi. I saw a posting yesterday, and it said, you know, click it or ticket. When we started with the whole seatbelt thing and how yeah. many people still don't wear seatbelts, but certainly how many lives have been saved because of them. And the next one was masket or casket. I saw that too. Remember, that, remember, click it yeah. or ticket. Yeah. And how about that's right, masket or <laughs> casket? Casket. I think yeah. that's a great bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of like, uh, yeah, it just sort of compresses things down into, a, yeah, a bumper sticker, That's, which is, yeah. <laughs> which is about, you know, as as uh, as rigorous an intellectual exercise as an awful lot of our fellow country men and women are capable of. Indeed, indeed, and I just, you know, listening about Wisconsin, I have a daughter who who lives there. She went to school there and stayed and married, family, kids, and she's just. Yeah, you know she's just she shakes her head. I mean, yeah, they're just it's, it's just insane. It's crazy, right. uh, and I, I guess it is crazy. This is where this is happening and, in no other state. This is where Republicans have mm-hmm. truly staged almost a coup. Um, yeah. yeah, they've deprived the executive of his the authority he had when he. Uh, was voted into the office and the authority that all governors have had. And because Mm -hmm. they have such high numbers in the legislature, they just took all his, and it is unbelievable. Then they, then they pack the courts and they killed a bunch of people making them vote in a, Mm -hmm. you know, because they wouldn't allow the the vote by, they are beyond belief. Now you do have Mm -hmm. in the major cities, um, in Madison, Milwaukee, Green Bay, you do have the local authorities uh, insisting that uh, people stay in place, you know, trying to do it right. on a local level. But there are 72 counties there. And right. viruses right. don't recognize where 
the county lines are. No, they do not. And it's just, uh, you know, it's just being Trumpified. And I did catch an interview yesterday with a legislator, a representative to Congress from the eastern part of the state. And she's right where, near Allentown, where the president is supposed to make an appearance today. Yes. And uh, and she, her mother-in-law died. She was sick for two weeks in a small nursing home. And she just died, and she she was she was choked up in during this interview. I mean, it just it hit her so personally, and she said, you know, her kids it was their grandmother, and you can't you can't be there, you can't yeah you can't you're you're alone, and she's just you know like stay home, stay away, do not come here, we do not want you here, and yeah. um, but you know those. A lot of people want their 15 minutes of fame. They want to be on TV with the president, their president. And, you know, eh, who cares? Looking tough. And I said to, I said to someone the other day, you know, they're, you know, we need to open up this economy. We need to get all this stuff. And I said, well, you know, pick your 1%. What's 1% of your friends and family that you'd be willing to say, that's just 1%. Oh, well, I would, you know, you don't have to look at it that way. Well, yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, you do, because that's the way it is. But we shall get through this. I guess, one way or the other. Stronger, better, and I hope smarter in November. Okay. Thank you for the optimism. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye. Um, What else do I have here that I wanted? Oh, something interesting that... You know, we, we're so generally in, inclined to be thinking of our own concerns uh, now uh, that sometimes we forget that many other people are dealing with much more uh, anxiety and difficulty and disruption than, uh, than certainly I am in my life. And this is something that hadn't occurred to me. If you are deaf, if you're hearing impaired, and the way that you are able to communicate with people is that you read lips. With people masked, you can't. You can't communicate. And I, I was also thinking of the masking thing in terms of, you know, how communication in general. You know, we speak with our faces, some of us more than others, and to wipe out half of that expression um, is, is such, to me, is such a huge loss. I don't even feel like myself. When I was walking the dog yesterday, I had a mask on, I had sunglasses, and there is no way anyone could have known it was me. I could have walked by a mirror and not recognized myself. And attaining that level of anonymity is in some respects liberating. But on the other hand, again, it just feels like a, a loss another loss 
And as I walk the dog in neighborhoods, I see these yard signs, each of which just breaks my heart every time I see it. And there are yard signs saying that in that house, there is a graduate, a 2020 graduate, some from high school, some from colleges. And you think of being so young, just about to start trying to figure out what you will be and your adult life, and having this make everything uh, unknowable and take all your whatever plans, whatever dreams you had have to be put on hold. You know, an old fart like me, I that's not something that this is doing to me. So for the young, it just breaks my heart. And then for the little kids you see and the impact on them, their sense of the world, their sense of security and safety, their sense of what normal human interaction is. There's an, I don't know. You know, they say the old folks are the most vulnerable. But in some respects, I would say the old folks have had a life. (laughs) And my heart goes out to the young ones. To the young. I also have to say there is a street right near my house that I used to walk my dog on all the time, and now I avoid like the. I thought, oh, how wonderful, because you never remember before all this, you never saw kids on bikes, you know, playing all the time. You just didn't. They were inside. They were, you know, we talked about kids not doing what they do like when we were young. But so I turned onto this street and my God, there was, uh, I'd say about eight children, all looked to be about the same age, They're all on their bicycles and they're playing and they're riding around and having so much fun. And I swear, before this, I never saw that on that street. Obviously, it's a street with a lot of little kids on it. And I saw parents. You can see there's always a mother or two standing out. But these kids, there's no way these kids are part of one family. There's no way. So I'm thinking, I don't think you're supposed to be doing that. And then all these kids go home. But obviously on that one street, those parents have made that calculation. They're going to let their kids play. I don't even know anymore who's right and who's wrong. I can't figure it out. But man, I avoid that street because you can't, there's so many, the kids are zooming around. You have to, you know, dodge them. Oh, Bill writes, I'm sure you get a million requests a day to listen to this or that, but there's a podcast about 
where we should be concentrating our effort to protect or con- ourselves or contain the virus, it did make me rethink what we are doing. I'm still obeying the guidelines, but if we have a second wave, I don't know that our nation can withstand another complete shutdown. And he's given me a podcast by a Dr. David Katz, K-A-T-Z. That's at richroll.com slash podcast. Um, okay, thank you for that, Bill. And I mean, it might dovetail with what uh, Cyril Wecht is saying to... Gee whiz. Um, yeah, Lucy says, I, somebody came up with a clear panel mask for that reason so that people can see your your lips. Um, yeah, that would definitely be something that would be more helpful. And if we could just sort of retain our our faces, show our faces to each other. Uh I don't know. One possibly good thing that I'm seeing is happening in um, in a lot of cities, including being talked about here in Pittsburgh, is uh, turning streets into pedestrian areas. So um, I, I saw that some discussion going on to the uh, business district of Walnut Street in uh, Shadyside where there are shops, um, to shut that to cars uh, and allow then people to be able to be on the street and manage possibly uh, to keep far enough away from each other. So we we give people more space and tell the cars, you go away. We're reclaiming these streets. Also allowing for uh, restaurants uh, on those streets to push out into the streets for the summer and uh, to be able to serve more people uh, even though they are uh, doing uh, social distancing. Uh, but it's called slow streets. And I know uh, in Los Angeles they're starting to do it and um, other communities as well I am seeing. Some of these are just temporary closings. Some might end up being permanent. Who knows? But the thinking is to give more people more space to walk, to run, to bike, to, you know, push their children in strollers. Um, because, you know, if you're out on the sidewalks at all, it gets crowded out there. It's really getting crowded. <laughs> and sometimes I get so sick of zigzagging from one side of the street to the other or or that sort of game of it's not chicken really of where you're walk I'm walking my dog going one way on a sidewalk and and down the way I see someone coming toward me now these calculations seem to be made at some point either I or the person coming toward me is going to move is going to step out onto the street and sometimes it's a some kind of playing of chicken. 
All right, you going to do it? I'm sick of doing it. You do it. And you don't know if they've been doing it too all the time. And, you know, you give way. I'll give, but invariably somebody does. Although there are times when people clearly don't. They just come at you. And, you know, you make calculations for if somebody has a stroller and, uh, and another kid, of course, if you're a single person, you, you, you move. Um, all these sort of like new kinds of obvious uh, rules of, uh, of, of being polite, of, of being civil, things that we never would have thought of uh, before. Uh. State stores are opening tomorrow. We're looking for some good news. <laughs> um, boy, that's going to be a that's going to be a run on uh, on the product, isn't it? Um, what else do I have for you? Jeez, I'm telling you. <laughs> I sometimes, you know, when you get together with friends, and I did yesterday in someone's backyard. You know, we do. We spend most of our time just trying to come to terms with our lives. It's something. I vacillate between being, okay, this is it. I can do this, to being just, (laughs) I mean, paralyzed. Totally paralyzed. In total denial. I'm being told that Dr. Katz is an excellent source by Margaret. Jeff says, in regards to the loss of face in masks, about a year ago I traveled to Shanghai, and one of my impressions was how uncourteous people were to each other. A rarity of smiles, not holding doors for others, and a disregard for others. I was walking down a crowded sidewalk once, And those in front of me just abruptly stopped, forcing everyone to walk onto the street to get around them. I thought it was curious, but now I know why. Wearing masks has always been common there and apparently makes them feel like they are in their own little world. I I do think there's something to that, although it could also be sort of cultural. I mean, you know, there's a lot of places where people don't smile at each other and they're not wearing masks masks. It's just not done. It's a very American kind of thing, this saying hi to strangers and and smiling at each other all the time. Um, and I have to tell you, you know, well, obviously you travel abroad if you've been to Shanghai, Jeff. Uh, but I have noted in other countries, when I have been in other countries, that our social norms are not necessarily the social norms of those countries in Israel for instance um yeah i i didn't get the impression that you know uh, that i mean i think you could be barreled over on a sidewalk there i mean those folks are they're going where they're going and uh they're not given to opening doors for other people either um and so i think some of it is cultural i don't know but you know, speaking of doors, we're going to have to rethink doors. They need to be doors you don't have to uh, touch. 
and doors that you know swing open or doors that you can push with an elbow open so there need to be doors for going in and doors for coming out um i whatever i mean this is going to change everything it's going to change architecture it's going to change education it's going to change our workplaces it's going to change our schools it's i said education i did it's just going to change everything so yeah say goodbye to the way we lived our lives um Gigi says good morning lynn i was shocked to read cyril's piece in the paper i was a little shocked too I understand the yearning to get back to normal, but I also understand enough epidemiology to know that we would be in much worse shape had we not taken the steps we did. Although I have to tell you, we failed as a country at those steps. Uh, Those steps, those initial mitigation steps started way too late in the United States, which is why we are, you know, out in front of everybody else. And it's too late for us. So that one of the things we're not being told now is really we've entered into the, if you screw up that first response, which we did, you end up in the fallback position, which is about, I forget what they call it, but it's about um, just sort of trying to handle uh, the fact that this thing is out there, understanding you're not going to beat it back. But it, it's sort of like the same thing where if you know, it's like a needle exchange program for uh, heroin addicts. You know, ideally, you would be able to stop them from shooting up. But if you know that's not possible, they are going to shoot up, then you go to the next level of at least trying to provide a safe an environment for them to do it. And that really we have failed in the first place. And so now we are at that second place and maybe we're still sort of all the things we have in place are more, I don't know. I don't, I really don't know if our leaders and who are our leaders. I don't, I, you know, I, okay, I'm going to finish Gigi's email. You know, she says, had we taken the steps sooner, we would likely would have avoided the horror of of 80,000 deaths heading to quarter of a million. There's no doubt. Remember the first things? Well, we could see 250,000. Don't worry. We will. For now, we need to continue distancing and wearing masks because this is what will protect us until there is a vaccine. But there may not ever be a vaccine. It does not seem likely that the virus will extinguish itself. I agree. I think about other countries, in particular some Asian countries, in which it is common practice for people to wear masks during flu season. There does not seem to be deleterious effects on their culture and interactions, so why should that be the case for us? I spoke with friends recently who are nurses. They work 12-hour shifts in full gear the whole time. They effectively communicate and treat patients. Why can we not follow and honor that example? If they can perform the work they do in masks, why is it so hard for us to wear one to take an hour-long walk? Well, touche. I hate them myself. Amy. I mean, not Amy. Excuse me, Amy. Sorry, I saw your name up on me. We have a caller. (laughs) Hello, caller. Hello, this is Kurt from Swissville. 
Kurt from Swissville. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. Don't answer that. Um, yeah. <laughs> hey, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm out of touch, but the one thing that really struck me about voting by mail is, you know, I applied for my ballot and I got the email that says it's on the way. I haven't gotten more than one. Um, but what I I, I kind of did it to preserve voting by mail as an option. There were two things yeah. I didn't realize at the time. One was that a lot of polling locations in Allegheny County look like they won't be open, including... They won't be open because poll workers don't want to risk their lives to man them. Right. Yeah, and I, that just doesn't... I don't know. To me, that wasn't getting a lot of attention. That that. Well, I agree you know, it's not. So You need to vote by mail because your polling location isn't going to be closed and you're going to show up on... June second, and and it ain't going to be there. And the ones, and there might just be like one big one open, you know, one taking the place of thirty others, and that'll be a mob scene you won't want to go into. Right. Yeah, I don't think it's finalized yet, but I think fourteenth uh, right. and fifteenth ward is all Taylor Alderdice. Oh, really? That's what it seems to be, yeah. Yeah, so get your mail-in ballot. I, I don't think that's settled, but uh, that seems to be... No, I, I don't think it is either, but it's heading that way, it appears. And uh, I thank you for that information. You did send me um, an email the other day. Yeah, vote by mail. And, as it turns out, you can vote twice. Vote by mail! <laughs> hey, and I, I am also surprised by Cyril. Uh, he does the same thing that troubles me about all the other let's get back to work arguments, which is they're all very one-sided. They say, basically, we're tired of being shut down. This That's right. Old. Let's get back to life as normal. But uh, they never say what the other side of the coin is. They never say, yeah. look, if we open up now with our rates having fallen by so much each day for 14 days, and they basically follow the the guidelines even the White House has established, um, that these are going to be the consequences, and these are the consequences we're prepared to accept. You know, we will get the 250,000 deaths. Yeah, we um, will. I think we never, will. They never say that side. They just say we're all impatient, we're all sick of sitting at home, we need to get back to work, people need their jobs, and there's no consequence for that action discussed. Yeah. Unless it's minimized, and I, and I think it's, I don't, I I don't know where he, he gets numbers either. Cause, no, I, he had a few numbers in there that I didn't know where he got them either. I mean, yeah, he, I he, we cherry-pick. We cherry-pick, right? He got yeah. the numbers that he wanted to have. But he's a contrarian, the old fart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, 90% asymptomatic, I, mean, I don't see anything that comes in. No, I haven't seen that either. I have not I seen that either. You know, Roosevelt, there you had a population of sailors, all of whom are trained to ignore discomfort, and even half of them had symptoms. So yeah. half yeah. being asymptomatic is the highest number I've seen. And UPMC started testing at random, well, or anybody that was coming in for a procedure, and they didn't find anybody out of a 1,000 people that was really? symptomatic and positive. Yeah, yeah, that was, I'll send you that one if you want. Yeah, 1,000 people they tested. Don't you dream, Kurt? Isn't your if I have a, a birthday and I'm blowing out candles, my wish will be, please let me get COVID and be asymptomatic. 
Oh yeah, I I got the antibody test, and that was kind of what I was hoping for because I had, and you don't have the antibody. No, I don't have the antibodies. I had all <laughs> that I damn. You know, I had a fever, and things tasted funny, and chills, uh, and the whole bit, and I had a cough, which didn't seem to have any nasal congestion. I mean, I oh yeah, I had to have had it, and I was in the Dominican Republic, so I thought, well, I did all that foreign travel, and I was in all those airports, and nope, no antibodies. <laughs> Too bad. Tough luck. You didn't have it. Uh, you can try and convince yourselves of these things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, may you not have it. I don't know. I don't know. May you have it. God help us all. Stay well. I keep waiting for it to come home from uh, from work, but it hasn't happened yet. So. You mean because your 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 husband yeah, is a doctor? Yeah. Yeah. That's. Is he dealing with COVID patients, or he doesn't? Really, uh, not so much. I mean, I think most of the, the, <sighs> the clinics and private physicians are saying if you have symptoms, uh, just stay home. Stay away. There's, yeah. there's really no treatment for us, for us to do for you here anyway. Uh, if you want to test, you can come in, but uh, I think most people are told to stay home and treat themselves, and if they find themselves in respiratory distress, to go to the emergency room, and that's that's it. Pretty much the way it's been handled because they don't want people in their in the waiting rooms and right. uh, things like that. I mean, they're not turning people away. I wouldn't say that, but you know, they're giving the best advice on contamination control that they can. So, well, good luck to you both, and um, thanks for calling. Well, you too, and yeah, get outside. It's it's only gray today. At least it's not freezing. Yes, that's true. It's only gray. <laughs> One out of two ain't bad. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. Bye. Um, uh, Father Joseph writes, I think what we face is an opportunity for an honest debate over competing ethical rules. One rule is to preserve human life keeping people from dying <laughs> because of the virus. And the other rule is to prevent human suffering. For example, preserving employment, uh, saving someone's business. Human lives versus human suffering. That's how Father, Father Joseph is putting this. That's a, that's a doozy. Human lives versus human suffering. Each has merit, of course. The problem is that there are times when ethical rules will conflict. That is when we must decide which rule has a higher ethical value. Human lives versus human suffering. Both ends of a, the political spectrum have valid points. The challenge is that each should honestly consider the opposite perspective. Oh, you're so quaint, Father Joseph. I'm sorry. The challenge is that each should honestly consider the opposite perspective and be able to explain why its advocacy for one position over the other carries a higher ethical 
wait. Well, that's a hell of a conundrum uh, you've given us there. And I see you don't come down on one side or the other, Father. (laughs) Wow, that's a doozy, though. That's a doozy. Thank you for that. It's very, uh, very provocative. Um, Okay, I want to see what else I have here. Hang on. Uh, The Trump death clock. The Trump death clock? Oh, God. I'm still trying to figure out what Obamagate is. The Trump death clock tallies American COVID-19 deaths that could have been prevented had Trump implemented mitigation just one week earlier. Um, yeah, well, I, I don't think there's, there's any doubt that uh, Trump's failure to act um, has resulted in an awful lot of uh, death. Um, and according, I guess, to the Trump death clock, an estimated 90% of the deaths could have been prevented had the guidelines, social distancing, and other things been put in place on March 2nd when there was only 11 known cases. Well, Dana asks, I'm listening to Dr. Fauci rather than Dr. Wecht. Did you see the president said of Dr. Fauci's uh, statement that he doesn't think schools is, are going to be opening on uh, in September? Uh, Donald Trump was heard to say that is an unacceptable statement or answer because he was asked the question. That is an unacceptable <laughs> because in Trump world, it's unacceptable. Yeah. God damn. All right, back to uh, Dana. Dr. Weck may say the amount of deaths from coronavirus is 1%, but if this was if this were auto traffic deaths, do we not so we should we should stop wearing seat belts? Should we not spend the money to save people who get cancer because some are going to die? This virus not only kills all ages, it causes damage to other organs. Yeah, there's that. And has been said some lung damage of victims is permanent. That's right. Most people that die, die a horrendous death. I don't want to think about this. The number of cases and deaths per Dr. Fauci may be lower than the actual numbers since at home numbers don't get counted. You mean it might, might be higher. Yeah, we're undercounting this. Anybody with a, a brain knows that. Would Dr. Salk have found a vaccine for polio if a certain amount of, ch- of children got polio and it was considered, well, yeah, that's just the way it is. It's acceptable. The masks and social distancing is not forever. Many scientists are working on vaccines and therapeutics. Some people want their hair done and nails done more than... That, that is, so, you know, it's that kind of superficiality. Like, I gotta have my hair cut. And my... F- yeah, I need to have these false nails stuck on. Um, you know, I, I, I just, 
people who are grumbling about stuff like that are, are the shallowest of the shallow. Uh, Dana goes on, I am lucky my governor in Illinois is listening to the doctors and scientists and opening our state slowly. Those states that completely opened without conditions are and will, oh, it's going to be, it's, gonna, it's already, you're seeing it. But it, for instance, like Georgia and some of these other states, they haven't been open long enough um, to see the real spike. But in a week or so, we'll start to see it. Dana says, we are on the first wave of what might be many waves, like the 1918 Spanish flu. Yeah. The scientists and medical experts still do not say being exposed once will prevent a second infection. Dr. Wecht has dealt with many deaths and may be more accepting of death. I thought that too. I feel that every life is very precious, and even nurses, doctors, and the health yeah, and other healthcare workers have passed with this. Well, yeah, they they are um, they are dying, you know, in a, in frightening numbers. Oh man, I don't know. I wish, I wish, I wish I knew. I wish I knew more than I know, or maybe I don't. I don't know if this is one of those cases where ignorance is bliss or uh, or not. Um, all right, well, I think I've pretty much gone through what I sort of had stuck here in front of me. I came across this by some uh, British uh, journalist, and it's so true of us. Um, we like to think we have control. I think for some of us, it's the only way we can get through a day. Um, I think it's the reason, too, that people have faith, religious faith, because otherwise they just couldn't even get out of bed in the morning. You have to have some sense that there is uh, some plan <laughs> somebody's got control, whether it's a magical being up in the sky or it's you, you know, at being able to control things. And we really think that somehow, if we just get the right people in place and everything, that, that we have the capacity to control things. And this virus has exploded that in our faces. And this journalist said this, we humans are pathetically eager to believe that if human affairs are simply managed right, nothing unpleasant need befall anyone. Ain't that the truth? In the back of our heads, we just think if, yeah, put someone in charge who knows what they're doing and... And this can get, we are good. We can handle this. We have faith, either faith in scientists to save us or faith in God or faith, faith, faith. And faith is, that's a leap, as we know. It's a leap into pretty thin air, if you, if you ask me. I'm going to share two other things that are in my head. 
Uh, one is rather dark, but it's it's for those of us who are getting crazy, feeling like I can't do this for a year. I can't. I can't do this for a year. Or I can't do this for another three months. Um, I happened to see a documentary um, and there was an old man in it. He's now dead because this thing was older. But he was interviewed about his experiences as a child. And he was a child, I believe, in Hungary during World War II. And his story was so unbelievable. The Germans had come to town. They had ordered all the Jews into the street. He was there in the street with his father. And there was a little commotion at some point, and his father said to him, he was nine years old, his father said to him, run, run, keep running, run. Can you imagine telling your nine-year-old boy? And the kid ran. And he ran and he ran and he hid and he hid and he finally so cold and and hungry and frightened, he finally got the nerve to knock on some farmhouse and said to the woman who opened the door, please, please help me. She really didn't want to. But his pitifulness, I guess, finally got to her. So she she put him up in her attic. And she fed him maybe once a day. Never talked to him. He had no contact. That little boy spent two years from the age of nine to the age of 11 in a cold attic alone, a child alone, no toys, no TV, no books, no nothing. And I was thinking, and I, and I was watching the old man that had been that child he survived. I cannot imagine what it did to him psychologically, but hearing that one story made me again think, how lucky are we? And how privileged has uh, have our lives been so that was one story 
that sort of made me try to get a little more perspective. And what the hell was the other one? <laughs> I swear I had another one. Damn. Colin, if you don't write things down, if you don't write things down. Oh, uh, maybe you've seen this on the Internet. Somebody, uh, probably about a year ago or something, um, a television reporter in, in Wales, in the UK, uh, had done an interview with this hundred year this unbelievably spry hundred year old man and had also done a piece at his hundredth birthday party where he was seen to dance so cutely and with a cane kick up his heels literally I, I this guy is amazing he he does not in any way look sound or anything to be a hundred and the reporter thought of him and thought, I got to go back and talk to him now. See how the old guy's doing. And he did. And the old guy's sitting out on his front porch and is interviewed. And stop and think of, of the perspective he has. He's now, I think it'd have to be 101. He was born in 2000, excuse me, nine, so he lived through um, all of the cataclysms that that 20th century uh, cooked up, and God knows there were a lot. He speaks of the depression, of literally he and his sister being sent to bed hungry, his mother saying, there is a piece of bread. You can have it now, but then you're not going to have it for breakfast. He said there was nothing. You know, he lived through that. He lived through World War One. Well, World War One was over. He lived through World War Two. He lived through the Depression. He lived through all this stuff. And he said in response to a question from a reporter. This is the worst thing. And the reporter said, worse than being in the war? And the guy said, yeah. In the war, you know who you're fighting. This, the enemy is invisible. And then he bemoaned the lack of being able to, yeah, be with his his children, who he laughed about being all petitioners. I, 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 is it petitioners? Um, no, that is not it. What do they call a pensioners? All pensioners, which is what they call people on, uh, you know, uh, who are over sixty-five. In so he's got four old. You know, he's got uh, kids in their 70s, like my mom. My mom has three kids. Yeah, same, same kind of thing. And he's laughing about that, how his children are, are pensioners. And he also says, though, but this is bringing out some nice things. Um, he says, neighbors who otherwise didn't necessarily talk to me, 
are now asking if I'm okay. They're asking if they can bring things to me. And he said it brings... So here is this old man who's been through a lot in his life. And on the one hand, he sees this as like the worst thing ever. But on the other hand, he sees some positives in it. So I think... Again, perspective. Uh, perspective is uh, is necessary, and it's hard to keep <laughs> uh, a lot of the time. Uh, so. Margaret writes, my brother and his wife live in New York City, and when I speak with them, they are way, way more serious and wary than anyone else I talk to. Yeah, of course. And I talk to people all over the country on a regular basis. Most Americans just don't get it. Well, you know, if you look at the map of where this thing has been and where it's killed the most, it is so concentrated on that east, you know, that northeastern, that Philly and, uh, you know, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut. It is. I mean, they have, and yeah, California, nowhere near that. Now, some of these states are going to, uh, obviously, by opening up, are going to risk creating those kinds of hotspots. But uh, New York, without a doubt, and New Yorkers took took the hit, the biggest, biggest, biggest hit. Um, Allegheny has its new numbers. I, I, these are stupid. I'm not even going to – I'll do deaths, okay, because that's the only thing you know is probably closer to right. 139 in Allegheny County at this point. So uh, – there you have it. Well, guys, um, thank you for being there. I enjoyed your input uh, very much uh, today. And um, Father Joseph, your email is going to stick with me um, because I don't know how I... That is a hell of a conundrum. What is the greater value? Saving human life or ameliorating human suffering. I don't know. But thank you. Thank you all. I so appreciate this time with you. And, um, you know, good good luck <laughs> on this weekend. Enjoy the warmth, at least. I have been looking as we've been talking had a robin. Gee, the birds are amazing. I mean, I've got blue. I got blue jays and cardinals and birds I can't identify. But there was just this big fat robin in my little pond, my little goldfish pond in the back, and he was having such a wonderful bath. It was so wonderful watching. God bless nature. And that's something else I've thought of. Those poor people in New York City. You know, yeah, there might be a park, but 
they don't have, most of them don't have that respite of being able to, yeah, sit in a backyard or a front yard or even a balcony, most of them, and, and, you know, breathe the air and watch the birds. Oh, perspective. I'm going to go watch birds. Okay. I love you all. I really feel that. <laughs> I do. I love you all and uh, talk to you again on Monday. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.